Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Stats. Good morning, and thank you for listening into another episode of Board Game with Education. And I say good morning because it's morning for me. It might be evening for you or afternoon, whatever time it is. But I say good morning because I am getting ready for my first day back of the school year. And if you're an educator like me, you're probably thinking about this upcoming school year and how you're going to make learning happen, how you're going to keep your students safe, how you're going to follow certain health, new health guidelines that uh, a lot of teachers, educators, not just in education, but we're all trying to figure out how to how to cope with this pandemic, both in a health sense and a mental health sense. And with all of this, we are going back to school. Some of us are completely online. Some of us are in a hybrid model. Depending on where you are in the world, you might be full in-person classes. Or maybe you're a parent and you're concerned about how the school year is going to go. And maybe you have your kids at home this year and you're looking for ways to help encourage their learning environment or support their learning for this upcoming school year. So there's a lot going on this year and we're all trying to figure out how to get through this pandemic and what we can do to support our communities in those different ways. So Board Gaming with Education will be around and we're going to continue to dig into ways we can support our education community and how games for learning can help support during this time. You know, if you have played games at all, even just a little bit, you know, games develop a sense of community and they provide a great opportunity for developing that sense of community. Even when we are apart, you might have seen a lot of different games go around the internet that people play. This is one awesome opportunity that games provide that community. So with that said, there are a couple updates from Board Game with Education. One, if you noticed last week, uh, maybe about six days, our website was down. We were getting ready to launch a board game store and that is up now. We are accepting pre-orders. So if you're curious to look at what it looks like, go to boardgameofeducation.com there are our science-based games. And one thing that you will receive with most of our games, you'll have to look out for the resources included tag on any of our games. And that those games that have that tag will include some free in-classroom resources, some free at-home resources, or some free distant learning resources. So be sure to check out our games. We'll include those resources with most of our games, boardgamewitheducation.com, and also... Another update, we have our game-based learning course. You can check that out on our website as well, boardgamewitheducation.com, in the courses tab on the top of the page. We'll leave both those links in the show notes. And as always, if you have any questions about how you can use games this upcoming school year or if you're at home with your kids, be sure to reach out to us, podcast at boardgamewitheducation.com. We're always happy to answer questions. You can also find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we have a Pinterest now. So check us out, Board Game with Education or BGE Games. All right, so in this episode, we talked to Scott Kelly. He is the designer of Math Magician's Duel, and we talked to him about how he came up with his design and a little bit about his design process, and we also get into how he uses games to support his learners because he is also a teacher. So be sure to listen in, and if you have any questions about the show or any comments, again, podcast at boardgamewitheducation.com. All right, let's get to the show. Welcome to another episode of Board Game with Education. I am joined by Scott Kelly. He is the game designer of Math Magician's Duel and co-founder of BS Games. And it doesn't stand for what you think it stands for. I remember reading the little introduction to your game or your company. What does the BS stand for again? 
The BS is Bill and Scott. Bill and Scott. Yeah, there's the two of us. But we figured it's easy to remember. Yeah, right, right. right it's kind of hard to forget that. <laughs> awesome. Well, I I was learning a little bit about you and your website and your company before our interview, and I had stumbled upon this video. I don't know if this is something that is embarrassing or not, but it was fun to watch. And you ate a hot pepper while explaining the rules of Math Magician's Duel. Yeah, we were. Um, we decided as a new company, we need to explore uh, roots of uh, getting word out there and uh, being part of the digital community. And we'd set up our Twitter, we'd done, uh, we're done on Facebook, on Instagram. And we thought, well, at some point, we're going to have to get to show people how to play our games and showcase uh, the games real time. YouTube, the video channels are fairly popular. We thought uh, we'd like to join in with that. So we did a couple of videos, how to play our games, a couple of short videos, like the the very first time Bill ever beat me at Math and Magician's Duel. Uh, we were out at a, a game cafe playing it, and uh, we filmed that. But then we thought, you know what, let, it's a little bit gimmicky, but yeah, let's just do something silly like that, right? Something funny. So maybe we can eat hot peppers. I do like spicy food, hot food, not necessarily super hot food, but uh, definitely better me than Bill, I think. He might have died <laughs> had we uh, switched roles. So we thought it'd be fun. What we'd uh, set up where I'd explain the rules, like set up like a regular here's how to play video. And then Bill would start handing me this pepper and encourage me to bite it. And I would just eat it as I was uh, going through. And it's funny because of course he didn't do any test or practice. Right. And he just went out and bought these scotch bonnet peppers and said, uh, here we go. I'm ready. Let's do it. Come on over and we'll, uh, we'll shoot this video. And, uh, and we did it. And first bite, I was like, well, this isn't so bad. This isn't going to be very <laughs> exciting. And then by the time I got halfway through the second one, you can see the reaction. None of that is fake, <laughs> yeah. right? There's no fake yeah. reaction in that video. That was what was going on at the time. I noticed it got a little bit worse as as you <laughs> continued. Uh, and there's no no water, no milk, no like palate cleanser while you're doing it. Not while we were on. No, I think really the only uh, uh, I guess really the control of the uh, reaction was just to make sure I didn't say any inappropriate words for a family video. <laughs> right, right. That was uh, the one thing that we're making sure, or I was trying to make sure of. But uh, other than that, the reactions there are uh, are genuine and not put on for, for effect. That was, it was pretty spicy. And so on a scale of maybe five being uh, something normal spicy that you eat to 10 being, I would never try that spicy. How spicy was it? I wouldn't say I'd never try that again. And I did take the leftovers home and put them in some stews and some soups later on. And yeah, just half of one of those will make your whole stew spicy. So I would put there like an eight because I know there are spicier things out there that I wouldn't do. So I don't necessarily think it's the very top of the list, but it's pretty high up there. Awesome. All right, Scott, would you mind just sharing a little bit more about yourself and introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure. I am Scott Kelly, uh, not the astronaut. So if you Google me, you're probably not going to find me first. There'll be several pages of the astronaut, Scott Kelly, which is what makes it difficult for my students to find me. So I'm pretty happy that I'm, uh, I'm hidden on Google. But I am currently a teacher. Uh, this is a second career for me, a midlife career change. I previously worked for Games Workshop um where obviously you got to be into gaming to do that uh and i very much was and i think there is where i really got interested in both teaching and game design i've been uh, designing games just for my friends and for my own personal use uh since high school i started playing dungeons and dragons when i was nine a friend of mine introduced me to it then when I got to high school, I found uh, a group of friends there that played. They introduced me to Warhammer 40,000. So through there, I got into tabletop miniature gaming, plus all kinds of role-playing games. Uh, we did uh, not just Dungeons and Dragons, but um, we got into uh, uh, Star Frontiers. I got into Vampire the Masquerade. Uh, we got into the uh, the Tom Wham games that came in uh, Dragon Magazine, uh, Mertwig's Maze and Elephant Hunt. And we'd make up our own cards for that. And I got to the point where I was trying to design my own games just to get them to play during lunchtime and after school. So it was something that was sort of with me through my life. Uh, I think I kind of got out of it just a little bit, very recreational kind of hobby, until I ended up working at Games Workshop. And part of what I did there uh, wasn't my job, wasn't my role, but when we had some of our events, I volunteered to do to create little scenarios and games that within the the larger games so i came up with what i called squiggitch 
which is kind of a, a takeoff of the uh, Quidditch from Harry Potter, except instead of witches and wizards on brooms, they were goblins riding wolves and uh, made some, some comical rules for that. So I got a lot of opportunities to try creating stuff there. And also that's where I ended up doing a lot of teaching, teaching the kids, well, the adults as well, right? To play the game, uh, teaching them, giving them painting lessons in the stores, that sort of thing. And then eventually, when I moved on from there uh, to do university as a mature student, and you can't see it, but when I say the word mature student, I think I'm legally bound to do air quotes around the word mature, (laughs) uh, even though I was uh, in my er early 30s. Um, Yeah, back to university. Uh, From there, again, did a lot of teaching in university, just uh, ad hoc. Other students would find me and I was just really good at it. So I'd get these spontaneous little study groups gathering around me and I really enjoy teaching them and helping them. And from there, by the time I finished uh, last year of university, one of my professors suggested I uh, try teaching because uh, she had seen all the extra help and tutoring I was giving to the other students. And I thought, you know what, let's give that a try. So I did that for a couple of years and then um, got back into gaming quite a bit and thought, how am I going to how am I going to combine these, put these two things together? Because I think I can really see the benefits of, uh, of of using games in a classroom. And that's sort of a, in a package, my teaching gaming journey and how they combined. Awesome. I'm excited to learn kind of how or where that intersection finally collided. But before we get there, what would you say one time you were on the other end where you learned something through a game? I, um... I remember playing board games since I was really young and I end up uh, sometimes going to game cafes and looking on their shelf or sometimes I'll see um, on the internet, Twitter, or Instagram, someone I'm following will post, hey, check out this old game. And I'll look at that and I'll suddenly these memories will just suddenly hit me. I'm like, I had that. I played that when I was like nine or 10, but I hadn't thought about it in years and years. So strategy for sure was something that I would have picked up planning ahead early on just through playing games in general right because that's important but i do remember historical games for sure so learning the names of uh, you know uh, generals or places uh, i was into um history world war ii history especially but i don't know if that comes from uh coming from a, from a british family i was born in england and my dad was a fan so we watched a lot of war movies uh, and he did uh scale and models and things like that so I played games that involved that. So uh, just a bit of history and background about certain battles and the personalities that were involved in them and the geography of them. But the first time I remember using games or being exposed to a game in class, it wasn't even actually an established board game. But in my grade nine history class, uh, my teacher used games and got the whole class involved, engaged in them in order to explain or um, give us more background into or experience in what we were learning. Uh, I remember while we were doing World War One, he did a, a risk-like simulation where the map was drawn on, like, on a transparency on an overhead projector. Right? That's where the map was. And um, each round, each team was uh, representing a different country. I remember my partner and I were Italy. Uh, so we started with uh, very few resources and kind of surrounded by everybody. But having played similar games before, my, my partner actually was, was a really clever guy as well. We maneuvered our troops and made packs with other countries to allow each other to use each other's troops for uh, combined attacks. And the uh, whether or not you won in a territory was based on the odds of the number of your troops to their troops, plus a die roll. There's a chart. So it's kind of complex. And it reminds me of some of the old uh, the SSI games or the GMT games, but I think really pared down. So I never asked him about it, but I'm... Thinking about it now, I'm pretty sure that this guy was into those those old big simulation giant fold-out maps with the little cardboard shit games. So would you say that his or that experience of yours playing that game and that teacher kind of influenced you for, I guess, influenced you in your teaching career to use games and design a game for teaching? Thinking on it now, because I actually haven't thought about it in quite some time, I would say yes, but it wasn't... Uh, something I thought of until now. It's one of those retrospective ones rather than me going into it going, yeah, I remember when Mr. LaRoche in grade nine used those games. I want to do that too. I think it was more subconscious. And now looking back on it going, yeah, when he did that, I was really interested. So that's probably subconsciously one of the things that um, really helped 
me get that idea. And the fact that my partner and I won by a huge margin, uh, larger than uh, Italy has ever won before, he tells us, because he made some really clever moves, also probably made that stick in my head. <laughs> yeah. And it's always always the games we win, we, we enjoy a little bit more. <laughs> Yeah, and it's just and it was just so different, right? It's not like anything we've done before. Uh, other classes we've done some games, uh, but they're very much the small. Like they're so generic, I couldn't even tell you what they were. I'm like, I'm sure we've done them, right? Who can name this first? Who can answer, who can multiply these two numbers together before the other person? That sort of thing. The things that barely count as games because they're just you get points for doing the skills they want you to do. So when would you say your career in or your interest, I guess your former career in games and your interest in games interlapped or interconnected with teaching? My my last year of my teacher education program, um, I was doing a course in uh, spec ed, special education. And one of our projects was to create a tool or something that would be helpful in a uh, spec ed classroom. And uh, I came up with what I originally called the math mat. And it was essentially a more complicated abacus, but it used dice. So I had 10-sided dice. I had uh, nine blue spots and nine red spots. And you'd roll the dice, and that's how many counters you'd put on the spots. And the whole purpose of it was to show that there are only nine numbers plus a zero. And if you have 11 things, then you put one here and then you put one as a set of 10. So it's really just about place value and how to use, how to do addition and subtraction with the, uh, the borrowing and the regrouping. And I made it and everyone thought it was really cool, very useful. I made it in Word using uh, my, my limited graphic skills. And then once I'd done that, I thought, you know what, we can really make something of this. This is a really useful tool. I just have to make it look better. So I called my friend Bill, who I used to work with at Games Workshop. Uh, he was a graphic designer. That was his uh, his training uh, before he worked at Games Workshop, uh, illustrator, graphic designer. Uh, but he'd left Games Workshop before I did. Uh, but we're still in touch. So I called him up and I said, I got this great idea. Can you make this look well, it's not bad. because <laughs> mine looked awful. So I gave him the idea, told him what it was all about. And then I said, why don't we call it like the subtract and adder? Which is what it ended up being called because, and I said, make the logo, make it a snake. Like put a snake character on it because that's an adder and it's for adding because I have to have a pun in all my stuff. My degree is actually in linguistics. So the fact that my first game is math is like <laughs> irony. I've noticed the puns. <laughs> yeah. So we came up with this uh, this design. I was like, this is brilliant. So that was going to be the first game. We priced it out. How much would it cost to get a whole bunch of them made? And we we're looking at that going, wow, we don't have the money for this. How are we going to do it? Kickstarter was still kind of a new thing. We're just learning about the board game industry. Like we played for a while, but we weren't designers of games. So we didn't really know how the industry worked yet. And uh, while we were thinking of that, we came up with some other ideas for games. We said, you know, why don't we make a company around this? Let's come up with a name and a logo, right? Bill and Scott, what can we do? Uh, BS, oh, isn't that funny? Wait, yeah, kind of is, right? So we went with that. But then Subtract and Adder has been pretty much done for a while, but because the component cost is a lot higher and Math and Magician's Duel was less when I came up with Math and Magician's Duel, we decided that would be the first one that we we're going to go with because... It is a card game. The components are cheaper. The box is smaller. It would be an easier one for us to start with. And also, we were just really excited about the feedback we were getting from it. So with Math Magician's Duel, you had, was that an inspiration through your original design? And is that something that you use with your students currently or? Oh, yeah. My idea originally where it came out of was seeing students uh, or just, you know, kids in general uh, playing well, Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh, more so. Uh, Magic the Gathering at the time wasn't as big with that age group that I was seeing. I started playing Magic when it first came out. Uh, I got out of it fairly quickly. Uh, a friend of mine went to all the tournaments and things and bought t- piles of boosters. I had one starter set and two boosters, and he would beat me on turn two. So I was like, this isn't fun anymore. So I just gave him my cards and went back to painting models for Warhammer. But seeing the kids playing Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon and knowing every single card and all the stats and doing the math of who loses how much health i thought can we not harness this ability and engage them in something similar but with a more intrinsic but explicit math focus so there's more math to it to make it a math game but at the same time carries the same fun and engagement level as these dueling card games where they're playing you know to get their 
their spells out or their creatures out in order to attack each other. So I thought about that for a while. And then one day, and I'm pretty sure I was in the shower because for some reason, all my memories of like when I had that flash of inspiration on actually how to make the game, I'm always in the shower for some reason. But I think about things for a really long time before I actually do anything about it. But there's one day I went, no, this is it. I've got it. It just suddenly came to me almost completely formed. It's amazing. You spend enough time thinking about something, then it's almost ready. Nikola Tesla, not to go way too off topic, was the uh, was similar. He would visualize exactly how his inventions would fit together. And he knew they would work and how they go together before he ever built them uh, because he was so visual. I'm not claiming, um, you know, like Nikola Tesla, I'm just saying. It's a, there's a parallel there. Yeah, right, right. So I got this idea and I grabbed uh, some index cards, cut them in half so I'd have twice as many. I wrote down numbers on some of them and operators on the others, uh, played a quick game against myself. I called my uh, son over from uh, from the basement and said, look, I got this idea for the game. Here's how it works. Tell me why it won't work. Because he's very mathematically minded. He is super logical. Uh, I've taken ideas for games to him and said, here's an idea. And within like five minutes, he says, this won't work because this strategy will always win or this one will never win or this cancels that out. And I'll go, okay, back to the drawing board. But on this one, he looked at it and went, no, it's pretty cool. I don't see any issues, you know, any problems with this. So I uh, carried on with it, tried it a couple more times with a couple more people. And then I, um, I printed it on uh, the computer just to make it look nicer. I had two hand-drawn decks. And by say drawn, I mean scrawled in pencil with numbers on it i use my microsoft publisher use some clip art uh just to make some stuff that i can use to make it look better laminated it in the library at school and then started uh, asking the kids in the class you want to try this game look at this game you want to try it and some of them went oh it's a math game i don't think so and other ones went sure yeah we'll try it and then eventually the ones who originally were like i don't know we're seeing how much fun the other ones were having who were like you guys are try this you got to try this and there they were and then they were playing it as well so that feedback was really encouraging i think that's what pushed it to the top of our list of which game we need to do next right i said to bill look i got this this game this idea he's like well how's it working like well i just decided i'd run a tournament and 25 kids signed up and they're not even all kids from my class so they're coming in at lunchtime saying hey we heard there's this game my friend told me about this game you guys are playing can we try it and i would have three or four games going on sometimes uh in my room at lunchtime of these uh, students playing this math game that i made and uh, and enjoying it that's definitely got to be very encouraging i think in the design process and especially even as a teacher you're seeing that student engagement why do you think it's important to leverage games for learning in that engagement part, I think, is the is the pretty key term there. Uh, if they know that they're playing games, that it is a game, I think there's more of a buy-in there. They're going to go, well, it's a game. I guess I'll give it a try. And then if it is the game is good enough, it's engaging enough, um, then they stay. And uh, they'll get the, the learning out of it. I think it, like it was with that game I was playing back in history, right? We could have uh, looked at uh, charts and maps or even films and slideshows, but having a, a stake in it, uh, knowing what was uh, that we need to know what was going on and being part of it, I think that is a big component in getting the students engaged. And I love that, that buy-in that you mentioned. And I think uh, also you're talking about playing the game in your history class that you kind of have a influence over the process of your learning too, right? You're in charge of deciding the outcome of the game. Exactly. That's, uh, and that's, was interesting too, because that uh, came about in the, when I played the history games in my class. I'm not sure if that is going to go off the, the segment to the topic that you want to talk about right now, because we could come back to that. Maybe before we go there, what are some, what are some challenges you see with using games as a teacher and using them for learning. Right. Uh, that, and there are challenges because you think, what? I give the kids games and they'll play them and they'll learn. And that doesn't always happen because uh, sometimes you don't have that interest, right? You do have students who are not maybe used to playing games. They haven't been exposed to the games and they find things that you would think are uh, maybe obvious because of your own background. You're being used to them. And you don't sometimes recognize all the time that there are students who if they have played games, they're really maybe simple ones. They haven't played some of the games you have assumed that everyone is aware of. And then some of the mechanics that you, again, you make these assumptions that everyone has a basic idea of how they work and they don't. And you have to remember to be more explicit in your instructions. So getting students who are not familiar with games involved and engaged and not leave them out accidentally by 
using terminology they're not familiar with or uh, assuming that they can uh, access the game as easily as uh, some of the other students who you thought. So that's definitely something to look out for. And then you get the ones who are in it just for the fun and they don't see that there's learning involved. They go, hey, we played the game. And you say, oh, great. And what did you get out of it? I won. Okay. And what did you learn anything from it? Well, I learned I'm better than they are. Like, okay, but there's, there's more to it than that. And then they're really only engaging it on a surface level. So you just by putting the game in there and saying, I'm going to play this game, it's about this topic, doesn't guarantee that there's going to be learning from that. Uh, so it does need to be uh, moderated, somewhat curated, I find, to use the game in a way that is useful and is not a time filler. Because at this point, and it's been my experience, the students do see games as what we do on the Friday afternoon when there's not much other work to do, or it's a rainy day, or it's too hot and sunny to do actual work, and it just becomes a reward, and it's a um, like a slack-off time where it's not school. And then to make that connection that it can be fun, but there can also be some learning, and they should be taking something from it, that can be a challenge as well. It really depends on the the attitude, uh, the background and the experiences of the students that you're trying to engage with the games. And it's probably pretty important to make sure you're aware of that before you get into it so that you know how to uh, preface the introduction of the, the games into the class or else you're, you're going to lose them. Right? We thought it was the coolest idea ever. And you know, some of them don't want to play and the other ones are just playing, having a good time, throwing pieces at each other or uh, just missing out on the, the your overall point that you're trying to get to make by having brought these particular games in for them to play in the first place. Right. I think you nailed it spot on there. The Knowing your students, very important. And also that feedback from your students, what what do you need to improve either in your instruction of the game or just in your instruction to learn the, the learning outcomes? And you will get to know them better through the playing of the games too, because you can find out which ones are, they might be were, were quiet mostly in class and didn't engage, but now it turns out they're sore losers and bad sports as soon as you put some competition on them, right? So it might bring out some personality traits that you actually didn't know were there. I've heard that said before, right? If you really want to know somebody, play a game with them, put some competition there and see how they react. So do you have a unique story to share about a student's experience with any of your games? Why you say your games, you mean specifically Math Magician's Duel or any time I've used a game in class? Either or. Okay. Because I do, yeah, I think there are, are a couple. One specifically for Math Magician's Duel, which is, quite frankly, a story I really enjoy telling. I um, This one particular class, I started in November. It was a maternity leave. So I took over the um, the class in progress in November of the, of, uh, the school year. Uh, so, and it was a math class, grade seven math, and they'd already done integers, but I introduced the game as something that they could do if they finish their work early or they're welcome to come in at lunchtime and play because they get to do something fun, do some math. And I get a bit of free play testing out of it and get some feedback from them, what they thought about it. And this one student, he's got all his, his, what we call the incanquation laid out in front of him. So he's got his number operator, number operator, number operator, because he's trying to create this equation that equals the value of the spell. Because once the casting value of the spell is reached, then your spell is cast and you it affects your opponent. But there is a rule in there that allows you to, uh, once you've reached certain conditions, you can take numbers out of your incanquation. So you can take out a number and you can take one of the operators with it, either before or after. So he's got this long string of numbers and he's decided maybe he'll try this because his incantation is getting pretty long and he's not close to his um, his casting value. So he, as many students did, covers up two numbers or a number and an operator, calculates the entire value, covers up the next two, calculates the value, covers up the next two. So within the space of five minutes, he's added up all the numbers like four or five times. Then he takes a minus and a two, which were adjacent, and he slides them down uh, out of his incantation. Then he recalculates the value. Then he puts them back in and he calculates the value again. Then he takes them back out and calculates the value again. I said, so I said to him, I was looking over his shoulder. I was watching this game. I said, so how's it going? Are you you're working towards something? You have a strategy? And he says, I, I take out the minus two and the value gets bigger, but I'm taking out two, but it's minus two. Then he pauses and he goes, oh, that's what she was trying to tell us. I looked at him. I said, you, you spent two weeks on subtracting and adding negative numbers. And now you get it. He goes, well, it makes sense now. 
<laughs> right. Um, so he had a moment, which was exciting for me because when I designed that rule, that wasn't the purpose of doing that. Right. That's a side effect. There was other reasons for including that rule in the game, but that he discovered this uh, principle that subtracting a negative makes your overall value bigger. Even after it had been explained to him with you know textbook work and inst- instruction on the board, but then experiencing it in a different way, he had that moment of understanding. And I thought that was really cool though, that this was a way that he was able to get that even after the fact. I mean, better late than never, right? But the fact that he's understood it, it is not super important that maybe he didn't do well on the quiz last week, uh, but that he gets it now. And that'll some, be something knowledge learning that he can carry with him. But it was through that method that he was actually able to to understand it better. I thought that was a really neat moment. Right. So, I mean, that's super awesome, especially, I mean, I, I can definitely relate because I've been supporting our sixth grade team at the school I'm at. And this past month, they've been working on adding and subtracting and in- integers. And that was something that, because my background's not math, and I kind of had to learn how to teach that and how to get that point across. And some students were just, yeah, and some students are just struggling for the con, like trying to understand the concept. I tried different ways to explain it. Like if I have, if you have, if you owe me two dollars and then you owe me two more dollars, then you're negative four. Your your debt's increasing. Uh, and just figuring out ways to kind of think outside the box to explain it. It's really cool that you have that story with Math Magicians Duel too. So what is what is Math Magicians Duel like? What is the game? What maybe. What are a quick overview of the rules? Yeah. Well, my uh, my intention, uh, like I said before, was to get like a dueling game where you're dueling against somebody else. So the idea is uh, you, there's a, a deck of spells and you choose, uh, each player chooses three spells um, from the pile. And you from, there, from your hand of spells, you choose which one you want to cast. And in order to attempt to cast a spell, you have to create from your other hand of cards because you have three spell cards and you have your magical energy, what we call your magical energy and your magical symbols. There's two other decks, the blue deck and the red deck. The magical energy deck, which is blue, are all digits from one to nine. The magical symbols deck, uh, which is red, are all just plus and minus signs. So you choose what combination. You have five cards in your hand and you choose what combination of cards you want, blue and red. But on your turn, you can only play one card. So you have to, over several turns, build up your incantation. So it goes number, operator, number, operator, number, operator. And you add it up from left to right. And when added from left to right, the value of that incantation equals the casting value of the spell that you've chosen. Then it is cast and your opponent is affected. Each spell has a magical strength penalty. So that's kind of like your hit points. I deliberately chose not to use the words health, damage, and you're killed <laughs> when you uh, lose your magical strength. Because I wanted to, I know there's, um, I mean, the kids still say that even when I don't introduce it that way. But for my goal, which was to introduce it in schools, I needed something that was somewhat combative without violent language in it. So you're trying to reduce your opponent's magical strength. Uh, You start with 20. The spell you cast reduces their magical strength by a certain amount. When one player runs out of magical strength, they're unable to continue the duel and they are out and the other person wins. So it's about getting more spells off before your opponent. The twist is, however, on your turn, you can play one card and you can play it on your own incantation or you can play it on your opponent's incantation to move them further away from their goal. So if you see that they they need a three to get to their goal, their casting value on your turn, you can throw a five on them. So now they're too high by a value of two, and it might give you a bit more time to work on your own on your own turn. But if you only spend your time throwing cards at your opponent, it means you're not progressing your own. So there's that that strategy there, that choice you have to make. Are you going to work on your own incantation, or are you going to play on your opponents? But it means though you need to keep track of what their value is as well, because. I've seen it happen where someone says, oh, I got this card in my hand, it's not useful, and I'm just going to put it on my opponent to get it out of my hand, and I'll draw another card at the end of my turn. Hopefully, it'll be better. They play the card on their opponent without having added their opponent's incantation, and the opponent goes, thank you, because that was exactly the number they needed to reach their casting value. So there's choices to be made, and you do have to pay attention to what's going on. That's awesome. There's some strategic element to also keeping track of your opponent's score and that also involves you 
or involves your student more in the learning process too. Absolutely. And there needs to be choice as well. Otherwise, it's not really a game, right? So one of the things I was thinking as I was designing it was, I want to make sure your opponent has enough choices, make sure there isn't only one strategy to win, and that if things do go badly, you still have a way out of it to come back. And I have found that very seldom when somebody wins, do they themselves have more than six or seven magical strength left. It's very close. I've never seen a blowout game unless one person makes mistakes uh, really badly. If your incantation goes below zero, or if you cause an incantation to go below zero, it's a misfire, the spell goes off, and it hits the person who made it go below zero. So I have seen people cast their spells on themselves accidentally, and if that happens a couple of times, yeah, you might have trouble recovering from that. But generally, the games are pretty close, so no one feels that they're so far behind, there's no point in playing anymore. You're always, if I get my spell off first, and then I get another spell which goes fairly quickly, and I get that one, then I'm all caught up again. So there's that uh, no sense of, what's the point? I'm all frustrated. There is this strategy in there, of like, who do I play the card on? And like I was saying before, the pulling from the incantation. Instead, do I take my turn to pull a number out of my incantation? And even which spell do I choose? Right? you got a choice of three. The cards in your hand, which one, which of these spells have different casting values? Which ones of the spells in your hand, the, sorry, the cards in your hand are more likely to get you to that uh, casting value first? So I've played it with a lot of people, um, adults even, at uh, game conventions, game cafes. And they start off going, oh, I guess I'll play this. I guess I'll play that. And by the third or fourth turn, the turns get a little bit longer because they go, wait a minute, there's more choice here. I got to think about what I'm doing here. Whereas the first couple turns, they're like, oh, I'm just going to throw a card down, just throw a card down. So it's interesting to see that transition in their thinking as they come to that realization. It's quite rewarding, actually. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine the the reward in making the right plays and kind of catching up to your opponent. And I think it's super, super important, especially playing any games in the classroom to not have one team or one player. If you're playing a competitive game, get too far ahead because then they, they shut out of the game. And if they're shutting out of the game, they're shutting out of the learning. And that's not what you want to do in the classroom. Yeah. And I also wanted to make sure that engagement, right, that buy-in was there uh, by having something that was interesting. The student I told you uh, about before who discovered the, uh, the the pattern in the integers there, he was actually uh, resistant at first. He actually said to me, uh, I didn't want to play your game at first because it's a math game that my friend made me play. And then he was in every lunchtime going, hey, anybody want to play me? Anybody want to play me? That he became its biggest fan once he'd actually tried it and he'd gotten past the fact that it was a math game. And that was always important at first, too, because educational games, and again, with the, the quotes around them, do have a bit of a stigma of being boring and kids games. You get things that are roll the dice, land on the question, answer the question correctly, or roll the dice or pull two cards and add them. Whoever adds them the quickest gets the point, that sort of thing. And I know there are good games out there for this level and in math, but... I don't know that they cross over so much. I've heard some Swamp is pretty good, teaches similar skills, but I can't imagine grade six, seven, eights really enjoying moving their froggy around the swamp and avoiding the alligators. They'd think I was insulting their intelligence by making them play a kid's game. Right? <laughs> right. So this one is really about practicing the skills more than it is learning the skills. The assumption is that they have basic arithmetic skills. Uh, part of the other reason I was inspired to do this was seeing the number of times that students pull out calculators and their phones with the calculator function to add single and double digit numbers. They'd be working on a problem and they'd have a calculator because, you know, it was a challenging problem, but they were using the calculator on the easy part, not the part where the numbers got big and complex. The, they were using the calculator for the part where they were multiplying nine by 10 or where they're adding two single digit numbers. And I was like, why are you using the calculator? This is the sort of thing by this level that you should be able to sort out fairly quickly. So I said the sense that the practice wasn't there. So there wasn't that automaticity. So that was one of my goals as well, was just to get this constant repeated arithmetic as though it were flashcards, because the skills being tested essentially aren't that much different from flashcards or a worksheet full of math questions. But I don't think any student's going to do a math sheet or flashcards for 20 to 30 minutes and then say, hey, let's do that again. Right. That's one thing I've also noticed with some specific students is just they need more practice. They they just need to practice it. If you, it's, I remember teaching a 
someone at in DC when I worked at an immigrant and refugee community and I had she had just recently came from Central America and she didn't know her multiplication tables. And so we just sat down and we just practiced and practiced and practiced because she wasn't going to get it if she didn't go through that process of practicing. And she was behind her other classmates because she had never learned that in her home country. So Scott, before we move into our final segment, do you have any words of advice for teachers planning to use games to teach? Yes, uh, a bit of it related to uh, what I said earlier under the challenges section about just throwing the game out there and seeing what happens. Uh, There needs to be a plan. Uh, What is it that you want to get out of this? What is it you want the students to get out of this? You know, some some great advice was in, I actually just listened to uh, the Roger Moore episode earlier today. And he had some great things to say. And I was listening to that saying, oh man, I sound so repetitive <laughs> because what he uh, what he said was I related to quite a bit uh, with his experience using games in the class. The one that I used uh, last year in my history class, I did Academy Games has uh, 1754, the French Indian War, and 1812, the invasion of Canada. And that was on the grade seven history curriculum. Uh, so I figured I'd play those games. Uh, they're fairly similar. They're a bit uh, risk-like. They use cards that are uh, events that affect what you can do during your turn. And the cards are based on historical people or events. And I thought, well, if I want them to be engaged in the history, I need to have them recognize what is going on and how what we learned is related to the game. So I put together a lesson which I gave to them beforehand so they wouldn't have to try to think back and remember what happened in the game, but then they could take notes during the course of the game uh, while they were playing when something came up that was important or relevant. And the plan was to get them to describe one of the cards they used, what effect it had in the game, and how that was related to the person or event that was depicted on the card itself. So having this planned out ahead of time meant they're more engaged not only in playing the game and trying to win, but also how did it relate to what we were being taught or what they were being taught. A quick example there is um, one of the students is watching a game. One of the students um, played the George Washington card in the 1754 game because he was playing the British because at that point, George Washington was a British general. And the George Washington card allows you to build a fort at one of the locations that's marked with a fort on the map and it gives you bonuses in combat and he looked around the map and said okay i'm gonna play this one and he noticed the place with the highest concentration of enemies that he thought were was where they were going to attack next and he took his fort token and he put it down on that spot and noticed that spot was fort necessity and he said oh i'm using the george washington card to build fort necessity just like george washington did in real life because we'd watched it episode and talked about this earlier and i said so what are you going to do now he paused for a second and went i'm gonna write that down there you go right because now he can use that in his report so having them engaged not just in the game but the purpose of the game and what it is you're trying to establish with them i find will probably be a lot more rewarding and you'll get more out of that at the end uh, to engage both with the game and with the history. I also, as part of the the package, had them design a new card based on somebody or an event that wasn't represented in the game, but that they remember. Uh, one of the questions was, what happened in your game that happened in real life? And what happened in your game that didn't happen in real life? So every time they had a battle at a location that had a name or a city, they were all looking up to see if there was actually a battle there during that war and who won. Because then they can say, oh, there's a battle at uh, this location. And in our game, the French won. But in the real life, the British actually won. So that they were independently doing research in order to answer these questions, but in a way that excited them because they wanted to see if it was the same as what they did. So I think that engagement, that knowing the purpose, what you want them to learn, letting them know ahead of time was really helpful as well so that they can be thinking about it while they're playing. Because I would think, here's a game, and then after the fact going, okay, what did you learn or answer these questions? And if they're pretty caught up in the game, maybe they've got some memories of what happened specifically, or maybe they just remembered having fun and winning. And then they'll be a little bit hard pressed to go, well, if I'd known I needed to answer that, maybe I would have thought about that more, focused on that while I was playing. And then that might ruin the experience of having played the game because they 
now they think they've done it wrong because they were supposed to be doing this thing at the or thinking about something else at the time, which they weren't. So that would be my biggest suggestion is to have that uh, planned out, let them know ahead of time uh, the purpose so that when they come out of it, they go, okay, I understand why we're playing the game. I enjoyed the playing of the game. Maybe picked up some more game skills, but at the same time made those connections between this game and the learning that uh, we're supposed to achieve. Right. That's a really awesome, awesome example. I think it's, it's all, it's about planning a lesson, right? It's, you're not just throwing a game down in front of the students, but you're looking at what kind of activities can you, can you provide to help support the learning and the game playing too? Right. Even if it's just like a review of the games, right? Here's some games, just play them. And then after say, well, what did you think of it? Right. Here's a couple of specific questions. Maybe the general questions that aren't too specific just to get them thinking about how it worked and, and what did they do? Right. So that might be a, um, an easier entry way into that, but uh, you still need to be prepared with what you're going to ask them uh, based on the games. I've done that for probability, actually, um, in math, where I've introduced a few games and they go around the room playing each one in turn. And there'll be things like uh, snakes and ladders, war, chess. I can't remember what else. There's something else in there. And the question at the end, or as they go for each one, is how much chance or probability or luck is in this game and how much of it is just straight up uh, skill and, and ability so they can see how some games are entirely chance like snakes and ladders right doesn't matter how good you are at that game it's impossible to be good at that possible to be good at that game right it's entirely chance uh war by the time you shuffle the deck and split them in half the outcome is predetermined there's nothing you can do about that and then you get the ones where it's entirely your choices and what you do affect the outcome so i think that's it makes an intro- interesting introduction to probability and see how some games use some and some games use none and some games are it's, that's all there is to it so right i think that's why poker is so intriguing there's there's a bit of skill and there's a bit of uh, randomness yeah <laughs> Awesome, Scott. So let's move into our final segment, which is a thumbs up, thumbs down, quick lightning round. Okay. So either give me a thumbs up if you like it and a brief reason why you like it or thumbs down if you don't like it and a brief reason why. Gotcha. So the first one is going to be, since this is how we got to know you, eating food with board games. Oh, eating food with board games. That's a tough one. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm not very decisive. A little bit of analysis paralysis sometimes, right? Because I'm always thinking of different scenarios, trying to see both sides at the same time. So yeah, you got to eat while you're playing, but at the same time, don't get your dusty chip fingers or your chicken wing sauce all over my components. So I think anyone who is thumbs up for responsible people who understand that (laughs) thumbs down for messy food near the board games. Awesome. And then the next one, we were just talking about this is randomness in games. Yep. No, a thumbs up. I'm good for that. As long as it is manageable randomness, if it's complete randomness, you have no control over then then what's the point? It's really playing the lottery. is just exciting. Did I win? Randomness that you can moderate. Um, and that's where you get into the war games, right? Warhammer, Warhammer 40,000. Those are huge dice checkers, right? You get in there and you're rolling like handfuls of dice. You say, oh, I lost because I rolled badly. I was killed by randomness. It's like, well, or maybe you didn't strategically plan such that the odds were in your favor. So randomness where you can understand the odds um, and either mitigate or adjust the odds to your favor or understand, then I'm totally, totally cool with that. I would think games where it comes down to whoever rolls higher on this final roll wins the game. It's uh, it's kind of a, a cheap way to win or lose, I think, for me. That'd be really frustrating to say that if the dice landed differently, the outcome would have been totally different. I think I just answered both again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this is why this one's a, a tough one for, for game players, I think. <laughs> yeah. The last one, I hope I pronounce this right because this word always trips me out. Abic- abicus in games. So using that to keep score. Keep mm, Why not? Any scoring method. I mean, it varies for, from game to game. Anything you want to use is 
I don't have, I don't have an issue with that. Are we talking about like all games? <laughs> Once again, some games it works, some games maybe not so much, right? So I'm, I'm giving another both it depends. So wishy-washy. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. You ask me about pineapple on pizza, I'm pretty pretty definite on that one. Oh, that big inter- isn't that the big internet controversy? Is that the thumbs up or thumbs down then for that oh, one? Oh, thumbs up. I'm a big fan of pineapple. Okay. And if you're not, I'm totally okay with that too. What about corn on pizza? That's interesting. Uh, I've never tried it. I wouldn't say that I wouldn't try it. And I'm not going to disparage anybody who likes it. <laughs> very, very popular pizza topping in Asia, actually. Is it? Oh, wow. Did not know that. So, Scott, thank you again for coming on the show. If anyone wanted to reach out to you or working on anything, where might they find you or keep up with UNBS Games? All right. We are at uh, www.bsgames.ca, not .com.ca. You'd be surprised how many people have actually used the name BS Games, or maybe you wouldn't. So .ca, and also on Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Facebook, also as BS Games CA. We put the CA on the end for consistency, and so that that distinguishes from the others, and, you know, because we're in Canada. So that seemed logical. Yeah, so you can check out there, see what we're doing. The website has a list of the other games we're working on that are in development right now. We've got two more that are just about finished, and we're kind of back and forth between... uh, getting those ones done through a different publisher so we can spend more time on level two of Mathemagician's Duel, which is going to incorporate multiplication and division. If you wanted to contact me directly, I'm scott.bsgames at gmail.com. And if you want to get a copy of Mathemagician's Duel, we do uh, have a link through our website uh, where you can buy it. However, right now, uh, we are currently recommending that you check, I say local game stores, but uh, we're in stores in um, Southern Ontario uh, right now, and that's it. We don't have uh, wide distribution, but they are also selling through their websites and deliver. Uh, they'll, they'll ship. And at this point, Bill and I are, this is kind of like a side gig right now. We're just getting started up. But there are a lot of game stores right now who are struggling uh, due to uh, closure. They're bread and butter. They're having people coming in and playing games has really um, hurt them financially. So... We like to support our local game stores. So if you can find the one one of the ones that uh, carries our game, which is listed on the Mathemagician's Duel page of our website, and if you can order it through them, then we'd prefer you do that to help support them. Uh, if for some reason they can't get it to you, then absolutely you can contact us and we'll, we'll get it for you. Really awesome. Thank you again, Scott, for all your insights and for sharing a bit about yourself and Mathemagician's Duel. Oh, thank you for having me on it. Uh, at this stage, just getting started, it's uh, super exciting to find someone who actually wants to talk to me <laughs> and talk about our <laughs> brand new game. Because uh, at this point, uh, just telling people about it is is what we're excited about. So we're really happy to to be anywhere, talk to anyone who wants to talk to us. Yeah, no, it was awesome. Thank you again. Thank you. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games, or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening, and until next time.